Welcome to the Colors of Fatherhood podcast. Here, we shine a positive light on fathers of color and seek out their stories of trial and triumph while gaining insight on what it means to raise children in this country we call America. A quote from Dr. Franklin Pittman states, Fathering is not something perfect men do, but something that perfects the man. And now, your illustrious host, Lim Gonzalez. What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Lim Gonzalez, a.k.a. Saint, and this is the Colors of Fatherhood podcast. So, of course, I have to have an amazing guest every single week, and Tonight is no exception. I have the Department Chair of Sociology at San Bernardino Valley College. He is also the publisher of the San Diego Poetry Annual. And of course, he's on this podcast because he's an amazing father. Ladies and gentlemen, Aunt Black. Yeah, I'm just going to go with father. I, I feel I feel like that was a lot. I, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's me, that's me, amazing father. Like I'm father. I'm doing the best I can. No, I man, really it's am. good. It's good. I mean, you know, it's good to have those accolades, man. I mean, it's great. We can't all say that. You know what I'm saying? We just it's we're true. talking, you know, offline about the world of academia, and uh, it's a yes. prestigious world, you know. Yes, it is a prestigious world, and I, in the community college, have uh, no feet in the prestigious world part of it. It is great to be like, oh, look at all my friends at these great schools where their colleges play on ESPN. Uh, com- community college, it's a different beast, but I, I love community college. It- I always say, you know, it's it's for the people in any given class. We- in community college, ain't no applications. Mm-hmm. Ain't no admissions process. Yes. You-, you fill out the app. You sign up for the class and that's who's in the class. So I have I have people who just don't belong in college. I got people coming out the pen. I got people coming out of from any direction. And it is great to to interact and teach and work with those people. So um, no complaints. Yeah, that's an interesting outlook. I mean, I would it seems like a just a, a heightened version of of almost like high school. I mean, I don't want to uh dumb it down or downplay it, but just the and only say that because of the plethora of people that you have. You have so many diverse individuals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely can take offense to it. People call it high school, the fourteenth grade or the thirteenth grade. Right. Um, but no, there there's a certain level of having to do school mm-hmm. that unfortunately our society and unfortunately too too many people just funnel them into education system when when the world is so big, right? And right. Uh, and I hate to do that thing where college isn't for everybody. Certainly, college has something for everybody. But the way we try and do college, it, it can feel like the 13th grade, unfortunately, for a lot of people. But there, there is that part of it where you get a lot of folk who just ain't interested in being there. Mm-hmm. And I, I receive no more joy than getting a student who is trying to figure it out, doesn't know what to do, doesn't even want to be in your class. And all of a sudden you start to see the gears turn. Mm. You start to see, you start to hear the questions. You start to understand like, uh-oh, 
This person has questions about the world around them. Uh Uh-oh, this person is a scholar at heart. And you just got to chisel some of those things away and and turn, turn, turn these young folks. Listen, you know, I know it's supposed to be talking about fatherhood, but no, uh, if you survive, yeah, you live in this society, you survive the society, especially where I teach, you're an expert in sociology. Hmm. You just, you just need the vocabulary. You just need some of the finer points in training of how we think, how we talk, how how we analyze the world around us based off of so many previous studies, so many previous findings that we have. But you're already a sociologist, you're already an expert because you survived, you've navigated uh, in situations that other people would have got shot, shot at, beat up, stabbed, not known what to do. Wow. That's being an expert at society. So it is great to to take that that knowledge, that intuitive knowledge, that learned knowledge, and then show them, okay, this is how you could apply that in this academic space, right? That makes sense. No, that's a, that's a great, great outlook. Let's talk about being a dad. You uh, are a father of two amazing, beautiful girls. Um, how did your life change when you became a father? Instantaneous. Instantaneous. My life, uh, you know, pre, pre-Mila, I'll go ahead and say, say your name on the, on the pod. Yeah, the, the moment, you know... I saw her. She she was born. Um, she did not look like an ugly alien child when she was born. Most babies do. Uh, future fathers out there, babies are ugly when they're first born. It's an, it's an objective fact. Don't worry. They'll be okay. A couple days, a couple weeks, a couple years later, they'll be all right. <laughs> a couple of um, years. <laughs> some of them. Some of them. But no, uh, Mila, she was born. Her eyes were like wide open mm. and she was looking at the world and looking at us. And immediately I was just like, yo, I really like her. This is pretty. She's She's pretty cool. But at the same time. I wasn't ready for, I didn't know what that that responsibility meant. I, I mean, I think I was ready for it. Like, okay, we're going to start a college fund. Okay, I'm going to make sure she goes to good schools. Okay, I'm going to do the best I can. But I wasn't ready for, oh, I have to deal with her diaper. I, mm. I, I wasn't ready for the small levels of responsibility. And that's right. the thing that can that can drive people, you know, crazy. That's the thing that can can make you not enjoy being a father is is not being prepared or not understanding the weight, the gravity, the frequency of how often you're working and tending to that child. But um, that's the thing that changed like right away, right after. And now when you say you weren't, I mean, you obviously knew you had to change diapers and all those things, the, the, the little nuances, you know, when a baby is born, you're just saying you weren't ready for the responsibility. Is that what it was? You don't know. You don't know how how often it is. Gotcha. Right. Okay. You don't you don't know how it's it's the frequency that you're not ready for, that I wasn't ready for. I shouldn't say you. Um that I wasn't ready for. My two kids, I would have them every Friday. That was my day as a professor. I really never teach classes on Friday. So okay. that was to my wife like just be gone all day. If you leave work, get home from work, you want to go out, just let Friday be my day. Don't even worry about what time you come back. And you, as a baby, especially when they wake up, it's food, diaper, kind of play, nurture, mm-hmm. and then nap. That's like a two to three hour cycle. Well, you're like, okay, they finally napped. I'm going to do a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now they only going to nap for an hour, maybe, maybe hour and a half if you're lucky. And then you hit that two, three hour cycle again. And then it just goes. And then the two, three hour cycle again. So that's, that's six of those cycles 
mm-hmm. gives you like 18 hours. Ah. That's your day. That's the part that I wasn't ready for. That's something that as as men, as fathers, we haven't been socialized. We haven't been trained to think with that level of frequency, with that level of constant tending to. And we just say, okay, that's what women do. Mm-hmm. And we take our six hours and then we tap in and, and do one cycle and then take another six hours and leave and bounce and dip. But, you know, like I say, Fridays were my day. So it was like, okay, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I'll watch kids. I'll do this, this, this. And then I'll get my grades done. And then I'll get my work done. Then I'll write some poetry. Nah, they got tired. I got tired, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, How long would you say that, like, to what age, like the range, I mean, from newborn to what, do you say that cycle happens? Like five, six years old. You know, my daughter's nine. At about seven or eight, it just got to the point where she could play for two, three hours, and I didn't have to think about was she safe? Uh, was she you. hungry? What are her needs? It was about like sec- second grade, seven, seven years old, second or third grade. You know, you can start to do that first grade a little bit. But my youngest daughter, she's in kindergarten, five. Nah, she can do an hour by herself. Mm -hmm. She can do maybe two hours with her sister, but there's going to be a need. And for me as a a parent and for our family, we want to be able to anticipate our kids' needs. We want to know what's going to happen. That's not necessarily we're going to like do everything for them, but we want to anticipate it. We don't want to wait until our kids are hungry to start thinking about, okay, well, when is it time to eat? Gotcha. You, you know, as a parent, you you get these routines. You know, your kids get hungry at 12 p.m. You know, lunch, COVID. We, you know, we've seen kind of a full day with them. Uh-huh. We know like, okay, our kids start to get hungry at 11. At one o'clock, they can't take it anymore. They're about to make some bad decisions <laughs> if we haven't fed them. So <laughs> you 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 want to anticipate that. You don't want to wait until 1.15 gotcha. trying to figure out why are they acting up? Why are they tripping? Right. Because they're hungry. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I do want to first commend you. I started this podcast kind of on a springboard from um, our interaction as poets. Um, so if you recall, we were on a slam team together. And for those that don't know, being on a slam team, it means that you compete at a national level. And during the summer, you know, you kind of get together and you you work on group pieces and, and individual pieces and you kind of coach one another and you have a, an ultimate coach that, you know, helps you out as well. And so uh, one of the things I remember you coming to me and saying, hey, I'm working on this piece about, you know, daughters and I want you to be on it. And I'm like, Aunt, you know, I don't have any kids. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you talking about, my guy? Um, and I did not, and I did not assume that you had kids, by the way. I, let's, let's get that out there. I want that one of the people. No, I did not assume that uh, Saint had kids just because he was a black male out here. <laughs> relatively debonair, light-skinned brother. <laughs> Certainly this man got to have kids somewhere. I did not do that. I did not. That wasn't. Okay. That wasn't, got that it. wasn't it. Got it. Duly noted. Duly noted. That being said, I still was like, yo, what, what are we talking about here? And you take it away. Tell me why you approached me uh, to do this. It was important. It, it was an important poem. And it was important to see in the poetry community, I had heard so many men do letters to my unborn kid. Mm. And I'm just like, yo, they were cool when I didn't have kids. Yeah. But 
being a father, I was like, these poems are so stupid. These poems are so silly. Uh, I, w- I, w- I want to take the moon for you and wrap it up so you can play with it in your rattle. You know, I don't. I want your ass to go to sleep and shut up. That's what I want you to do, right? Like, it, it, it's completely different. So so the poem that I was writing, I really was trying to tap into, you know, like, I, like we started from the beginning, like, what are these little moments about being a father? It mm-hmm. really, it really is not glamorous. Mm-hmm. It really, it, I don't want to say it sucks, but man, it, it, I'm telling you, like when the Knicks are playing and the Knicks got a good team this year and you're like, yo, look at these Knicks. And all of a sudden you got to stop because it's bath time. That's frustrating. That's annoying. Yeah. That's harsh. Or the guilt I feel because I'm going to keep watching the game. And then it's like, man, these kids are about to go to school dirty tomorrow. Like, that's that's the five, that's the poem I wanted to write and tap mm-hmm. into and connect it, right? There is that moment. And, and I'm being right uh, facetious here, but there really is that moment in the poems where you're like, yeah, I, but I do want to give them the moon at the mm-hmm. same time. I do <laughs> right. want to do that. So I really tried to write this piece that did both and shifted kind of the, the point of view from, oh, look at this father doing everything they can to sacrifice mm-hmm. to like, look at this father who really is learning how to love their daughter, who's mm-hmm. really struggling with it, who's really trying to figure it out. When you came in, it was actually really refreshing. You brought in a perspective of like what men need to do to be better around women and girls. And I don't know if if you intended to do that, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. just you trying to tap into whatever you could tap into. It, it, you brought in things that was like about having a daughter, mm-hmm. but it really was about like, as a man, I need to be better right. in this gender thing, right? And, and acknowledging this privilege and, and creating a world that these privileges don't continue oppressing women. And that was really, really profound. But I do remember going back and forth with you like saying, that's not the poem. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's kind of too deep. It, it's kind of, uh, uh. and I remember, I remember that tension, yeah. but now when I look back, back at the piece and I still do that poem and I, I have to credit, I credit you all the time. I have to credit you because there's lines that you have that I, I'm not able to take out. Like the, mm. there are moments in there. Um, how many fathers have left their daughters on the, on the footsteps of broken hearts. Oh my gosh. Come wow. on, Saint. My line was too busy chasing freedom rather than responsibility. Mm-hmm. And then you came in with not knowing that cries at night are the way they always let you know they are thinking about you. Dirty diapers, uh, something about like how, like the, the, I can't even remember the line, so I shouldn't do it yeah. since I can't remember. But it, it's, it was so beautiful, the things that you put in there that you were able to tap into. And I think the poem we created was just awesome, man. It really yeah. was great. Yeah. No, it it was. It was. And and that's why I say I credit you to, I mean, and that was years ago, right? That we were on a team together. But this podcast is kind of an assemblance of that. I mean, I do want to be a father. And that's what I did when I tapped into uh to do that piece is my longing to be a father and to be a father of a little girl because the yeah. poem was titled Daughters. And so using that, and then, you know, years later, now uh, in the podcast world, you know, I was like, I really want to celebrate fathers. I want to celebrate yeah. amazing men of color that are really doing an amazing job taking care of their children and their families. And that was kind of this, you know, the 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 spark 
essentially, right? That got that going. And then, you know, years later coming to fruition with this podcast. So yeah, thanks, yeah, man. I, no, I think, it, I think this is a great podcast. I think this is so important because, uh, uh, and, and I, I hear, I hear people, you know, mm-hmm. man, we get celebrated just for t- taking the trash out when we got kids. <laughs> like, we don't have to do nothing. They'd be like, oh, look, we just be, at, we just not be in jail. And they'd be like, right. oh, look at him raising this kid. Right. I, I mean, I, I get the critique, right? I, I certainly understand that. And that critique is valid. And at the same time, so, so many of us still don't know what it's like to have been raised by a father. Mm. Uh, so, so we get into this thing. And I, I think we talked about this one time, right? Mm-hmm. We're a, a lot of fathers now, a lot of millennial fathers, late Gen X, whatever you want to call these generations, are like, I don't know. I didn't see a father in the house. I don't know what it's like to be raised by a father. I don't know what to do. I just know I'm not going to leave and my kids aren't going to experience that. Mm. So I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. Right. I'm lost. I'm confused. Mm-hmm. But- I'm going to stay and I'm not going to leave. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's so, that's so profoundly important, right? You talk about, I, I talk about like right, these, these like shifting society, mm-hmm. man, it ain't no U-turn. No. It, 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 it ain't a Lambo. Uh, you got to turn an entire ship around. That takes time. Just getting it still and stable and stop. I'm not included in this, right? I had, I had a dad. But I look at folks who I grew up with, and I just see them like, "Yo, don't do that to your kid. Don't say that. <laughs> don't don't act like that. Like, yo, your kid. Don't don't beat your kid like that. Don't do these things." But at the same time, like, yo, these brothers is is not leaving, and mm-hmm. they daddies left. Their parents didn't. Their, their daddies didn't know how to stick around. So mm-hmm. it's important. It, it's profound. So so shout out to to having a, a podcast, a dialogue, and a celebration and reflection is super important. For sure. No, I appreciate it. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. And uh, I, I want to, being that I want to tap in, um, being that you, uh, your sociology background, excuse me, and how that comes into play, right, with raising your children, because I know you have um, an interesting perspective because of your education uh, in regards to that. So how does that come into play in dealing with your girls? Well, one, one as a sociologist, like we do data. That's what we do. Um, you, you spend as much time and as much money studying and learning. Uh, you, you, you just learn patterns of, of parenting and consequences of parenting and what houses look like, what households look like. Uh, for example, no greater variable impacts a child than parents' education and zip code. And to each of those, right, it, it, money. Mm-hmm. But money kind of is filtered in uh, zip code and parents' education. So we sit here and talk about all these things in terms of disciplining and all this other stuff. And it's like, eh, I can reasonably predict your kids' outcomes based off of where you live and your education. Hmm. If you're worried about raising a genius and raising a child who does this, 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 like, mm, I'm not saying you can't do it if you're in the hood. I'm just saying... The data suggests that's not what happens in the hood. Is it right? due to a lack of resources? It's due to it. Now you start to ask the how that works. It's okay. a whole ton of different ways, right? A, a lot of you different A lot of different things. You in the hood, uh, you in a, a undes- quote unquote undesirable zip code, lower SES zip code. You send your kid, especially a kid of color, you send them to a school. The teacher's not from that zip code. 
Hmm. Right. Especially you start talking about high school, especially talking about things like math classes and science classes. So those teachers are coming in tired, frustrated, low resources, emphasizing discipline, emphasizing uh, behavior rather than creativity and actual knowledge acquiring and, and different type of skills of that nature it has nothing to do with you as a parent. Hmm. You did your best, but your kid, by virtue of having to be in this other institution, is doing things that have detrimental outcomes. As a sociologist, I'm always thinking about those things. I'm always thinking about them when my wife and I are making decisions. I'm always bringing those things into the equation. We just had COVID, you know, COVID our kids are learning and staying at home. It's like, well, do we have them change schools? Is online learning best? Is this learning best? Yada, yada, yada. As a sociologist, I'm like, oh, you know, we have no data for this. You know, this is unprecedented in history. The worst thing we can really do is make a dramatic move for our family, make a dramatic move without any knowledge or evidence of how this works. And in this case, we can't use our logic. We can't use common sense on this. Right. All we have to do is say, you know what, what's worked for our kids' education with me and my wife? So, okay, babe, what works for us? Is it going to be more stressful going through the process of changing them to a different school, to a, a, a different learning modality? Or is it going to be better just having them stay with friends that they like, friends that they love, right? So just have, and granted, I don't want to, I don't, how do I say? There are other folk who have intuitively or by other means know and do what it is that I do. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to suggest that like you have to be college educated PhD in order to come to this space. I don't want to suggest that. I can only say that for me, that's how I got there. And that helps so, so much. I'll give you another example with sociology, gender inequality. Uh, again, I'm raising girls. Men, even when they work the same amount of hours as women, contribute less to household labor, household chores. Even when, we, even when both of us are working 40 hours, men still do less household labor, household work. Because I know that, I'm always trying to think, how can I be seen contributing to doing household labor? How can I be seen? How can my girl see that a man does the same amount of work as a woman? And I fall short, right? Especially my wife does more of the stuff for kids. But how can I how can I make that so it doesn't give my daughters an expectations that they have to do that, right? So so it, for for me and my wife, it's always about these negotiated roles. You do this, I'm doing this. I'm doing this, you do this. Let's figure out how to do it. And when she gets tired and frustrated of doing all that, let me step in. I'm going to do the best I can. So, And that is essentially important, um, not only, um, and I'm just saying this, tell me if you agree or not, that's important to not only your wife to obviously share the responsibilities, but it's also so your daughters can see that a man is taking his equal share in the household. Absolutely. I'm not worried about my wife. She's stuck with me. She <laughs> she she doesn't have a choice. Uh our faith is as such where, you know, she can't really leave me unless I do something really really bad. We we know the parameters of what uh she will leave me for. And you know what? Me packing a diaper bag ain't on the list. So, I don't pack <laughs> diaper bags. I don't pack <laughs> diaper bags. And there's also like I don't pack them right. Yeah. And it, there's also been some conversations, especially with my wife. It's like, babe, if you if you want this done a certain way, you're going to have to do it. Or if I do it, you can't complain about how I do it. We've come to the agreement that she she should pack the bags if she's going to be around. If she's not going to be around, I get to pack the bags. 
Right. I pack a little snacks, but we stop it for fast food. That's how we gotcha. roll. <laughs> That's how we roll. My wife exactly. is not. My wife, no fast food. Why we need fast food? We could pack some sandwiches. We could pack some of this. We could do this. She, she'd be having us at Disneyland. She got all the food coming out. Me, right. I'd be bringing... I'd be bringing uh, Popeyes into <laughs> Disneyland. Like, hey. Disneyland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want a leg? She's like, Daddy, Daddy, we bought those this morning. It's dinner time. <laughs> These legs, still good. <laughs> oh, hilarious. I love it. That's funny. Um, I want to talk about, you mentioned earlier about um, you did have your dad in your, in your home growing up. I want to talk about the differences and also some possible similarities of how you were raised and coming up and how you actually uh, raise your girls? Yeah, it's, um, I, you know, somebody from the outside would probably have to tell me. I, I think it's very difficult for you to see the similarities because mm-hmm. that's just how it is. That's what you think is right. That's what you think everyone does, right? So in terms of similarities, someone would definitely have to tell me, you do this just like your dad. I will say differences. I try very hard not to do that, do it because I say so thing. My dad, he was in the military. So there was a certain element of rank and hierarchy and obedience that, that comes with that. And it, he never did it in a, in, a, in a harsh, punitive, mean kind of way. Mm-hmm. That, that I, you know, I don't want to, he wasn't a, a drill sergeant kind of dad that you might see on television or something. I, there definitely were moments where I say, why, why are we doing this? So, because I said so, because I'm grown. And so I try to leave that at the, I try and leave that in the past mm. where if I want something done and any of my, my daughters ask, well, why, why? Okay. I'm going to tell you why. This is why we want it done this way. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it still comes down to, cause I'm grown and I'm the parent and this is my <laughs> request. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. I'm going to at least let you get a, a, as much of the logic of why I want something done this way as possible. Right. I want this done this way. Because in 30 minutes, I'm going to want something else. I'm going to want to do something else. Or in 45 minutes, you're going to be tired and ready to go to sleep. So I, I try and do that as best as I can. There are other things that that my dad did with me that I, I try to break. I try and spend, you know, again, my dad spent a lot of time with me. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, dad didn't do that. Uh-huh. But I try, I try and be more present with, with my kids. My dad would go in the garage start tinkering with his car, doing what he had to do. Uh-huh. No problem. I try not to do that uh, at five o'clock or six o'clock. Even if I still got to work, I want to be in the public space with them and be in the common space. So gotcha. Yeah. It's, it's thing, but I mean, I'm being, I'm nitpicking here, right? Um, my dad rest, rest his soul. Uh, he passed away uh, at 51. I'm, I'm starting to see how young 51 is. Wow. Right. Uh, I'm starting to see, I'm, I'm turning 40. So I'm like, damn, finally had 11 years left. Woo. It's a lot to still accomplish. Uh, so, so I realize I'm being nitpicky with this parenting, but at the same time, like my dad's dad, he was a hustler. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he was an old school player. He, he was a hustler. His, his job as a parent was, yo, I made the money. I brought the money to the house. Mm-hmm. I kept my 10, 20% and I did what I had to do on the weekends, turn that 20 into 40, did, you know, whatever. Right. But his, his job was just make the money and send it home. So my dad's growth from what his dad did mm. was tremendous. So gotcha. it's up to me. It's up to me to be better. Oh, that's, that's interesting. And I come, I can definitely understand where you're coming from with, first of all, the, 
um, I'm grown, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you do this or you do this because I said so. Um, definitely that happened in my household, but I do see why it can be in, important to tell your kids, okay, well, this is why, because X, Y, Z, um, because then they get a better understanding of why it is they're doing what they're doing. You're telling them to do. I can definitely see that. And I think that just as a whole, what I've seen just with some of the other interviews that I've had with other fathers and just friends of mine and just, you know, my brother who has children and see the differences that he has in raising his children than our dad raised us. And it's just, it's, it's kind of like almost like an evolution type thing. That's a great point you made about the growth because my father, his dad wasn't around. I don't think he contributed anything at all and died prematurely, um, you know, just as a drunk person coming out of a bar, got hit by a car. And so he wasn't really in my dad's life. And so my dad learned essentially how to be a father kind of just on, you know, not on the fly per se, but just as we were growing up, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, or, you know, getting advice from other people who were fathers, which may not have been the greatest advice, you know, but that was what he had at his disposal. And I noticed like even how I came up because I'm the oldest in my family of five kids and how, Mm -hmm. you know, he treated me or how he raised me versus my baby sister. And Mm -hmm. and there's a difference there, you know? And so, um, but again, it's evolution. You learn and you do better, you know, type thing. And so, um, yeah, I think that's really pivotal. We got to give these these men above us, mm-hmm. you know. Look again. Maybe this is my sociological background. Maybe maybe it's just who I am. But I'm like, yo, I'm 40. You know, again, older millennial, late Gen X, whatever. However mm-hmm. you do the math. But the generation before us, our generation, we're we're the the 1994 crime bill. <laughs> generation, right? <laughs> like True. there was there was a, a very intentional systemic interest on attacking who we were, who we are and things about us, right? Things that that we did, we learned to do, we were figuring out to do was criminalized in ways that members of the dominant group were never criminalized, right? And I'm sorry if I'm being very like United States centric here. The generation b- above that, that's the war on crime era, right? That whole 70s generation. Yo, yo, yo fathers come out of the seventies. That was like, lock them all up for a little reefer for a little, little this, little that. And even if, okay, you go a half step above or you go the generation before that's the civil rights era. I mean, at that point you're talking like, yo, straight up discrimination, straight up. Yeah. You might not be able to get a job because this is this you go before that which might be an older father or might be like grandfather or great grandfather. That's, that's Jim Crow sharecropping, right? Like it's a, (laughs) when you, when you stop and think about what fathers were battling and dealing with, how do you raise your kid when you're being humiliated and told that, oh yeah, even though you made $40, uh, you owe 35. So here's a $5 check. Get that to your kids. All right, Ant. So I want to talk about about race for a little bit, and I want to know how important is it uh, is race when it comes to raising uh, raising your children. Uh, that's a that's a tough question. That's a tough question. As we look at race, right? Let's go real sociological here. Race mm-hmm. is the division of people based off of perceived physical differences. Okay, and that's a bit different than ethnicity. 
which is about genealogy, where your people from, you know, cultural practices, et cetera, et cetera. So in, in, in that regard, you're asking two different questions and I kind of have two different, maybe perhaps divergent ways of thinking about that in terms of parenting. With race, we are very intentional, right? Our, our, my wife is mixed, multiracial. Her mother is Mexican. She identifies as Chicana and Chamorro, which uh, her people are, her father and those folk are from Guam. So that would make like our daughter, our daughters have a black grandmother, mm-hmm. a Chicana or Mexican grandmother, a Chamorro grandfather, and my father, who culturally was raised black, he was adopted by black folk. But where he was adopted from was a border town, right? So my father in his later years really came to understand and identify as a person who was likely born Latino or Hispanic, right? Mm -hmm. And he did not know who his parents were. So, so for those folk counting, right? If we're doing that old eighteen hundreds, right? Divide the kid up, kind of math shit. uh, That would make my my kids half Mexican or Hispanic or Latino, black and Chamorro. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean in terms of their race? Baby girl, y'all black. <laughs> <laughs> Baby girl, y'all Chamorro. Y'all are Islander. And y'all are indigenous, right? Y'all are from this land. You are from b- border or not border. Your people are from very close to the same place we are now, right? Mm. And and that's really important that you have the African diaspora coming into this land, that you have folk coming from the Pacific into this land. This is who you are, right? You are not half. You are not one quarter. You are full, all of this. And Mm. you do not need to worry about being any one of them more or less. This is the reason why we named our daughters their names, Mila and Nola. They're very ethnically ambiguous names so that they could tap into whatever identity that they have we did not want their names to influence who they felt they were or who they felt they needed to be, right? Mm. So so if you want to be Islander, Nola fits. You want to be Mexican, Nola fits. You want to be black, Nola fits, Mila fits. We did not want them to feel Islander and their name is Tanisha. And all mm. the Islanders are like, oh, Tanisha, you black, you too black. Right? We, didn't, we didn't want that. Um, my wife as a multiracial person, she just experienced that too much. So it was really important for who they were, for it was really important for us to create the parameters to figure out how their ethnicity would factor into their identity, right? Now, when it comes to ethnicity, gosh, we just be us, right? Mm-hmm. We we just be who we are. I mean, I'm I'm black in some ways, I'm stereotypically black. <laughs> I'm an old black man. I'm a 75-year-old <laughs> in a in a black in a 40-year-old body. body. I'll hear, I'll hear a song by, you know, I hear some song come on by the dramatics. I'd be like, right. <laughs> I, I ain't heard this song. This new song. I got to call my uncle. Like, hey, tell me about this song. He like, yo, that, that came out in 1973. You just now hearing that song? Ooh, this is my new jam, right? So Hilarious. Hilarious. It's, it's, it's things that I do that I bring culturally. You know, I'd be in the house. I should be like Issa Rae. We rooting for everybody black. We watching right. the, the awards. Who win? It's a black person. Well, that's who we're going for. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and they'll be like, Daddy, come on, come on. I, so I bring that, you know, my my wife, when she's relaxing, she's watching 
she's watching videos of like poly, what we call Polynesian dancing or videos of halal and, and, and uh, all these different competitions. So my mm-hmm. kids are interested in that. Right. right. My wife is just clowning around. She starts, um, you know, she starts doing, uh, she don't do hula too much, but she'll just start doing Tahitian and just moving mm-hmm. her hips and bouncing. And she got the, 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 uh, Toretto beats and going on. So my kids are drawn to that. They're like, okay, this is what we do. You know, this is, we're in El Norte, we're in Borderlands, uh, San Bernardino. So San Diego. So it, it, we don't have to bring too much Mexican or, or Chicano culture to them. They, they kind of mm-hmm. get that. We just try and highlight it so that they understand this isn't, quote unquote, American, or this comes out of an indigenous space, or this comes from a Mexican space, or this is what your grandfather would do or eat or be listening to. So we try and highlight it and emphasize it that way. But uh, I mean, the short answer is, yeah, it's incredibly important. It, it really is, you know, not to not to belabor the point, but to, to prepare them for... Mm-hmm you know, teenage years, college years, when they start meeting people who haven't been exposed to diversity, give them the tools of how to articulate their identity, how to, how to articulate who they are, who their grandfathers were, who their grandmothers were. So we're doing the best we can on that. We're trying. No, I mean, sounds like you're doing an amazing job. Yeah. Like you said, when you have, um, you know, a multiracial family, uh, knowing the different uh, nuances for each culture and being able Mm -hmm. to identify with that. I know for me growing up, um, just putting myself in the equation, my my father's Cape Verdean, um, my mother's black. And so, um, but I did not grow up um, or I wasn't immersed in the Cape Verdean culture. Most Mm -hmm. of the Cape Verdeans, when they migrate here to the States, they stay in the East Coast. So like Mm -hmm. Massachusetts, Rhode Island, there's tons of Cape Verdean. I mean, they have Cape Verdean festivals. That's where all the artists live typically. And I grew up on the West Coast. Um, And so I had my relatives, my mother's, I mean, excuse me, my father's, you know, sisters, my aunts, you know, their families. I would see them periodically. You know, one of my aunts married a Cape Verdean. Uh, and he was from there. So I would talk to him, you know, and, and get information. But ultimately, I wasn't immersed in the culture. And right. so I'm finding that out now as I'm getting older and I have to, you know, seek it out. And I just speaking of the point, I just last weekend, you know, went to a uh, the grand opening of a Cape Verdean restaurant. The first I saw ever. that I saw yeah. that in your post. Yeah. The first ever in Southern California. And I was like, this is so amazing, you know. And I was just glad to be a part of that and to be around, you know, that part of uh, side of me. But yeah, it's it's. It, I think it's wildly important to know that and and uh, be able to understand that and be able to identify with that. Yeah, it's important. And this is where I can super nerd out, right? Yeah. And for all the 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 scholarship on against race and post race and after race and yada yada yada. Yeah, ideally that'd be great. But fundamentally, at 17, 19, 22, 23, I, I don't know when when that question hits hard, mm-hmm. but for multiracial folk in particular, right, that question will cut deep and mm-hmm. that question will hurt. And if you don't know how to answer it, you can know who you are. You could look at your dad. You could look at your mom and be like, yeah, I'm cool in the house with mm-hmm. what we are and who I am. But all of a sudden, this person told me I was something else. If you don't know what to do with that, mm-hmm. if you haven't been raised and trained and practiced and versed on how to hold on to 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 what you know these things that make you look quote unquote different, if you don't know how to do that, that's where you see folk get lost real quick. 
Mm. You know, and it ripples. It, it really ripples. And, and even if it, it's not this dramatic thing, that that's where you see people faking the funk, right? And, and capitalizing off of it. And, you know, I, I spend way too much time on Instagram, right? And there's certain sections of Instagram that I have, you know, I'm a married man. So there's certain parts of Instagram I should not <laughs> be on. <laughs> they, oh, they, they creep the into devil. your feed. It, it, cre- it creeps into your feed, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, but it's like, yo, you're exoticizing it, it, you know, yeah, that's a great picture. Yeah. That's a great mm-hmm. caption. That's a great post or whatever, but you're exoticizing your ethnic differences your or your ethnicity, whatever is really detrimental to a lot of people mm. because they don't want to be Mexican for the sake of making money. They just are who they are. And you're, you're now telling people it's okay to say you're pretty for a Mexican girl. You're pretty for an island girl. Oh, I love island girls. They're all so pretty. And to just completely dehumanize and objectify, right? So it's really it's really important to say, like, this is what this is about. Right. When someone says, why do you look this way? I mean, gosh, my kid's hair. <laughs> why is your hair like this? Can I touch it? Hell no. <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely or, not. Yeah. Or, like, that's your best friend. Yes, please. <laughs> Help me brush it out, right? Yeah. Help me do this. Let's bond over this. Mm-hmm. But the, the key is it's on her terms, right? Or their terms, because I'm speaking of both my girls. It's on their terms. Right. Last question I wanted to ask, and this is simply uh, an advice question. How, what type of advice would you give to someone like myself? Wants to be a father uh, at some point in his life or someone that's a brand new father, someone that's raising you know, daughters. Um, what advice would you give them? Just be present, be present, make time, time. You you can't get time back. All the folks told me, I would tell it back to other people, cherish the moments, just pause and think about what you're doing. Just reflect on on what you're doing as it's happening because you never get them again. Time moves in one direction. It's, It's a wild thing. I don't care how many videos you take. I don't care how many, how, how many things you do. Time moves in one direction. So I have never... I will never say, I wish they were at a more advanced age. I will hmm. never say that because you can never get that time back. I lament. I, I look back at some of the videos and, and I lament like, yo, dang, like my nine-year-old was three years old once. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I remember that. It'll never be like that. We'll never have that relationship, right? We will hmm. never we will never wake up in the morning, me boiling a pot of coffee, me pouring cereal, and us just being like, okay, we've got a big day ahead of us. She's like, I know. Okay, we need to get focused. We need to get ready. Got to get your clothes on. We got to do it because it's it's an important day for us. She's like, okay, what do we got to do? All right, let's go. We got it. We ate. Got your your cereal. Got your food. I got my coffee. All right, let's go. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse is on. Let's party, (laughs) right? (laughs) We can never go back to that. We can we can play like we going back, but you can never go back to that. Celebrate those moments. Hold on to those moments. And the other thing I say too is be as a father, be who you are as a person. I don't even Mm -hmm. want to say as a man, but just be who you are as a person, right? If you're a person and your phone is always in your hand and you're doing all the YouTube videos, you're doing all that, like be that as a father. Don't feel like, oh, I better put my phone down and just look at you and cherish that. No, bring who you are into your your parenting. It's been great to see my man belief, belief in fatherhood. So he is. I mean, don't get me wrong. 
thoughtful, profound, brilliant, brilliant black man. But I know him as a rapper. I know him as an entertainer. I know him as a person who wants to have fun and get big and, and get famous, right? What Kanye say? What you think I rap for? To push a rap for? Belief right. what they weren't out here rapping just for fun to be broke. They was trying to make it. So to see mm-hmm. him incorporate that into his parenting and then to watch him launch that into a brand. I don't want to say how much he's making, because whatever I'm a quote, he probably doubling that. But to see him <laughs> launch it into a brand, to see him launch it into commercials, to see him launch it into to Netflix, like that's that's perfect. So mm-hmm. um and if you're not, I don't like being all on social media. I don't like doing that. I don't, I don't like dividing my attention that way. So for me, it'd be a terrible idea. I love to just be at home, spending that time. So whoever you are, bring that bring that to your parenting. Never never try and rush. Um, th- those would be the two things I would say. Word. Now that's great, man. Ladies and gentlemen, Professor Ant Black. That's me. Um, I know you're not a big social media person, but if you want to give your social media handles or where they can support what you have going on. Um, I know, you know, you have the San Diego situation. Um, I just want you to plug whatever you want to plug, man. Yeah. Um, you look, first of all, uh, I think my uh, professor Ant Black, P-R-O-F-A-N-T-B-L-A-C-K is the Twitter. Uh, I'll add you. I follow back. I don't tweet much, but I read it all. Uh, Instagram is, is Dr. Ant Black, D-R-A-N-T-B-L-A-C-K. Uh, I don't post much, but I'll be on there seeing how the world's living. Uh, the San Diego Poetry Annual, though, please support. We just published our 20, uh, 2020-2021 volume of poetry. Some amazing poets in there. It's such a privilege to see how we're grappling with COVID through poetry. Also, um, you know, if you got money to spare, uh, just let me know. Reach out through any of those platforms. I would love to donate to our honors program and our honors students at San Bernardino Valley College. We have a scholarship that's going on. So any money that you are inspired to donate, uh, I will make sure that it goes to some amazing, amazing honor students who are doing profound work in our uh, in our region, in our area. That's what's up. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, this is Lim Gonzalez, a.k.a. Saint. And until we speak again, God bless and take care. Colors of Fatherhood is produced by Josh Rodriguez and Saintly Productions. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast so you can be updated on all future episodes. Make sure to follow us on social media at Stay on the Mic and at Colors of Fatherhood. For all of your inquiries or booking needs, please contact us at saintlybooking at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.